0: The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Zneimer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was. On Monday, the final report from the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls was released at a ceremony in Gatineau, Quebec. The report uses the term genocide to describe the murders of the victims and proposes some 230 recommendations for the Canadian government, police forces, and the general public. Libby Snymer was joined by Indigenous Elder Kat Krieger and U of T Associate Professor of Indigenous Studies, Brenda Wastasakut. The first
2: time ever I hear about a report coming out is often is preceded by a previous report and preceded by a previous report. And I was just looking at some quick stats and saw that in 2010, there was a report that documented 582 uh, missing. And then 2014, the RCMP released released another report of 1,200 missing, um, which is just a, a, a devastating figure to see in the increase uh, based on which report was more accurate. I guess they're both accurate to some degree, but that's a lot. So f- for me, this this got me out of my office and down here to speak with you immediately today without hesitation.
3: How far does this go to reconciliation? Uh, you know the, the thought of
2: reconciliation, the idea of restoring a formula relationship, and that's assuming the relationship was a good one. Uh, the, the there needs to be action, and I know a lot of our viewers, our listeners are thinking this. There needs to be action. There needs to be movement, and there needs to be um, zero time when we take it, uh, until we take action.
3: So, what do you think are? The keys to the right kind of action. I mean, we haven't, we haven't even had a chance to read all the 230 recommendations, but they seem to be pretty sweeping, starting with changes to the justice system and to policing. And and as you mentioned, we've heard about this before.
2: Quite often we see recommendations for change through different concepts of government, policing, ways of being. And I think it lays within the hearts of most people to want a safe place to live. Number one, we need to be safe wherever we walk, whoever we are. And I think there's a, you know, it's really brought forward in the impact of recognizing how indigenous women uh, are treated in this country in that context, in, in the context of this report, and the fact that we come come up with over two hundred recommendations for changes or improvements or uh, ways to make things better is is almost startling in, in what is twenty nineteen.
3: Brenda, how far does this report go towards reconciliation?
4: Well, I think it's a it's an important step in uh, bringing the truth out for uh, people to hear. Mm Uh, other Canadians to to learn about Uh, an important process of uh, letting us tell our story from our experience and uh, being heard. I think that's very important.
3: There is a very long list of recommendations. We haven't seen them all, but how would you prioritize those things, Brenda?
4: Well, I definitely think there has to be changes to the justice system. And and, uh, I think the police, they need training uh, on uh, You know, what's happening in in, uh, a lot of families and and communities where there's a high high rate of, uh, you know, domestic violence, they need to learn how to help and actually be helping uh, Native women when they're calling for help. Myself as a a Native woman, I was in in an abusive relationship, and uh, a time when I did call the police for help, I myself was charged. It's not enough just to tell the police you're being abused. Uh, you got to pull out a great big long... Um, hmm. you got to prove it somehow, you know? Like, it's just not enough just to say, can you please help me? Um, you're met with this systemic racism that's, uh, you know, very ingrained, embedded uh, for many, many...
3: Uh, Do you feel that that is getting better?
4: I think uh, there's been... A lot more awareness now, and uh, you know, of course, with um, Indigenous services now being provided, things are getting better. But there's still a lot, a lot that can be done um, in the mainstream, like you know, in society uh, uh, as a whole. Uh, a lot of education still has to reach people.
2: You know, it, it's good to hear your words, Brenda. Uh, it's it's nice to hear your voice. And you have some really good points there about the, the idea of people need to listen. Um, and we're both educators, you and I, and we know that if we're, we're attempting to teach something and part of our class is not listening, they're the ones that are suffering. They're the ones that are missing something. And knowledge is a gift, and we want to share gifts that are for the betterment of all Uh, you know, especially for the betterment or the the, uh, stopping some of the atrocities. This is an atrocity. I hate to use another word, but there's a description of it.
1: Indigenous Elder Kat Krieger and U of T Associate Professor of Indigenous Studies, Brenda Wastosikoot. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It's an upsetting story of negligence by two airlines that were supposed to take care of vulnerable passengers. A couple from Nepal in their 60s, who are both in wheelchairs and don't speak English, were left unattended for 12 hours in Vancouver's airport without access to food, water, or washrooms. They missed a connecting flight to visit their son in Edmonton, even though special arrangements had been made with Cathay Pacific and WestJet. Libby spoke about this issue with lawyer David Lepofsky, who is with Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance, and Ellen Roseman, consumer advocate and columnist with the Toronto Star. I am surprised.
5: The upcoming uh, air passenger rights rules that are uh, starting in July and phased in toward the end of the year. They don't really include access to uh, people with disability uh, and making sure that their rights are respected. And the shocking thing for me is that what has changed, right? We've always had people in wheelchairs. I look back, actually, and there was some interesting stuff about the fact that Air Canada with using its own staff and its own wheelchairs, and other airlines didn't like that. And the GTAA, which is the Greater Toronto Airport Authority, wanted to um, centralize it all, which sounded like it would be helpful, but the Air Canada Union objected, and they ended up saying, okay, let's just leave it as it is. So each airline has its own policy on wheelchairs, and there's no central authority, and, you know, and airports themselves have a role to play, as well as blaming the airlines, I would think that it would be great if a giant airport like uh, the, the Pearson had people in each airport who were just deputized to make sure that nobody seemed lost or stranded and help them get to the amenities they needed, like the bathrooms or the, the uh, food areas.
3: Oh, okay. That sounds like a reasonable idea. Let's bring in David Lepofsky. What is your reaction to this?
5: Well, I'm
6: appalled, but sadly, I'm not shocked because as a blind individual who travels all over the place, I mean, I just flew in two days ago from Israel, I dread entering Canadian airspace. And I love Canada. But I know that when I land here, the kind of services I'm going to get in our airports are really inconsistent. There are times they're smooth and efficient, and there are times that you're spent dithering and waiting. I've had times when my flight from Chicago Toronto is shorter than the time it takes to get from landing on the ground to out the front door and in a car coming home, because of the inconsistent and unreliable service. And I've been told by the the nice people who do ground assist support, who I chat with, that they're frustrated too. There aren't enough of them uh, hired to do this kind of work, and the system is pretty chaotic. It doesn't look they're always properly and sufficiently trained. And uh, the Canadian Transportation Agency is the federal agency that's been responsible for this, not just recently, but for decades. Mm -hmm. And for decades, they've left it to voluntary codes of practice. In other words, please do a good job. Please do a good job, right? And they've proposed new regulations, uh, which Ellen referred to. And uh, these have some helpful stuff in them, but in some ways they're deeply troubling. In some ways they actually uh, cut back on and are weaker than the rights that passengers with disabilities are entitled to under our human rights legislation.
3: Ellen, what would you like to leave us with on this?
5: I would say that if it were my parents and they didn't speak English and they um, didn't have any uh, uh, anyone with them, I would try to find someone to maybe go with them because it's the language barrier is, is difficult. And if both of them are in wheelchairs, you know, there's no one to take care of them. So knowing that the uh, uh, Canadian airports, as David said, are inconsistent, I probably would make sure that I could find somebody to uh, to help out.
6: If people want to learn more about our campaign, I, I have the privilege of leading a coalition of campaigns for accessibility in, in Ontario and federally for people with all kinds of disabilities, not just folks in wheelchairs, of course, people, and not just people like me who are blind. Uh, go to uh, the Internet and go to www.aodaalliance.org. Aodaalliance.org. You can learn about our campaign and, and sign up to get our email updates and learn how to, how to add your voice to ours.
1: Lawyer David Lepockski with Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance. And Ellen Roseman, consumer advocate and columnist with the Toronto Star. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Mayor John Tory joined Libby Snymer on Tuesday to talk about his priorities, most notably his plans on reaching compromises with the Ford PCs at Queen's Park. Mayor Tory recently celebrated his 65th birthday, but he told his fellow Zoomers he isn't even considering retirement.
0: A lot of your listeners will know that, uh, and I tell this to people much younger than me, that uh, my energy level, uh, and I think if you're blessed with good health, your energy level and, and your the, the wisdom you have from having lived longer uh, makes you actually sort of ready to go and do things at age 65 more so than you were at 55 or 45, and there's really no uh, no other difference. I mean, as, as, you know, as, if you have your health, that's the most important thing. Well,
3: as they say, from uh, your mouth to God's ears, I right. totally agree with you. On to uh, more serious stuff. You had, Toronto had a reprieve from Queen's Park. they backed off the retroactive cuts, which the city said would impact uh, important programs like public health. Now, that promise was made by the Ford government no sooner... Did Doug Ford back off those cuts when city councilors started saying, we are never on board for the cuts. We have to fight these cuts while you, the mayor, saying, well, now we can sit down, roll up our sleeves and find efficiencies and where to cut. So where does that leave you?
0: You know I understand the fact that uh, the province has serious financial problems, and those have to be addressed and they ran on a platform of saying they were going to address them. I think the way they initially started to address them was wrong because they were they, they imposed for example uh, retroactive cuts as you mentioned on municipalities halfway through their budget year un, unannounced and without consultation. Now I think we have a chance to sit down and I think where my council colleagues those who have commented i haven 't read those particular comments, but where I think they 're off base is. They're implying that all we're going to sit down and do now is talk about the same list of cuts and just implementing them later. That's not the discussion that I'm signing up for. I'm signing up for a discussion where we sit with the other government, the provincial government in this case, and see if we can find in all the shared programs we have, all the ones we fund together in partnership and so on, better ways to do things so that there are ways in which we can save money without affecting uh, frontline services, um, but we just find better ways to do things and, and achieve some of the same savings for both governments uh, in that manner.
3: You're about to re- raised the pride flag uh, the police chief was doing that this morning yet the premier says he's not going to march in the parade because the police are not participating in uniform what what do you think of that
0: well, I think everybody has to make their own decision about uh, these things. I've chosen myself uh, to devote myself to trying to get the police back into uh, the parade, and I think that will happen. It's been, uh, you know, somewhat frustrating that it's taken a while to have that happen. Uh, but in the meantime, I think that as mayor, I should be supportive of the Pride Parade, which I have been every year. I've been in the parade probably every year since two thousand and one or two, you know, so probably seventeen or eighteen years in a row. Um, and I think it's important to support it because it's a big citywide event. I would the police were in it I've made that very clear over time. I've worked with pride and others and the police to try and encourage them to be talking about ways we can get the police back in and I think that will happen but in the meantime uh, I'm not going to have that affect my attendance as mayor at the parade i'm there representing all the people uh, and I'm there uh, to celebrate what I think is a great occasion in our city where people come together and you know celebrate just being here and having fun in our way of life here, but they also celebrate the human rights accomplishments we've had over the last number of years. So I will be there. I'll be raising the flag within the next half hour uh, at City Hall, uh, starting off a month of activities, and I'll be in the parade on the 23rd of uh, June.
3: Go Raptors, How, how do you think that's affecting the city?
0: I just think, again, it's put us on the map. We don't realize that these television broadcasts of the Raptors games are being shown around the world and everything they're saying about Toronto showing the Jurassic Park outside Scotiabank Arena is all positive. And the fans, of course, have been so supportive of the team, as I've tried to be, that it's uh, it's, it's just the whole thing is positive and I think it puts the city in a very positive mood.
3: And I just have to ask you one question about that before I let you go. What's with that jacket you were wearing?
0: Well, you know, everybody <laughs> asks me about that and that jacket had a perfect 3-0 and zero record uh, and then the other night we, of course we were not quite successful. We came close to winning. So I, I actually have three different Raptors jackets because I'm a very enthusiastic fan so I might well consult the public on whether we should give that particular jacket, the very colorful one with the gold logos on the black jacket, a, a rest. It was uh, something I had the other two jackets and somebody came along and said to me you really should have one of these and it's really uh, quite inexpensive and people would probably say worse critical words than that about
3: <laughs> I it. I can see that.
0: Yeah but, but having said all that um, it uh, certainly uh, sends a message and uh, it's just me trying to be really enthusiastic about a team that uh, is just I think really um, emblematic of today's Toronto in 2019 uh, and we love all of our teams including uh, the Leafs that have been around forever but uh, the Raptors have got everybody's hearts at the moment and that includes the Mayor.
1: Toronto Mayor John Tory in conversation with Libby Snymer this past Tuesday. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It was a remark made in the Ontario legislature which caused controversy this past week when NDP MPP Gilles Bisson compared the Ford Tories to the Nazis' communications director for saying that 9,100 jobs would be created by allowing beer and wine to be sold in corner stores. Like the proposal or not, everyone would agree that that comparison is completely inappropriate. Or would they? A surprising exchange evolved during Libby's panel discussion with NDP strategist Tom Parkin and conservative commentators John Capobianco and Ashton Arsenault.
7: I think we can all agree that the debate's gone a little off the rails when you've got an NDP MPP referring to Joseph Goebbels. In, in discourse, I, I, th- I think it's gone a little over the line, if you ask me.
3: Okay, you know, we have that clip waiting, because this, this 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 part was over the line. Uh, Justin, could you play it, please?
6: I think it was, uh, evidence. I was going to say Joseph Stalin, but that's their friend, the Bolshevik, that they're very friendly <laughs> with. But uh, what's his name? Uh, German Second World War. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, trivia. Don't oh, know. my God. How can it? Joseph Goebbels. It was Joseph Goebbels, who was a director of communications, who was the head of communications, among some other very other nasty things that he did, uh, in the Second World War, who, as a propagandist, used to say, if you say something often enough, loud enough, eventually people will believe it.
3: Invoking the Nazis a few days before D-Day, comparing it to the Ford government with uh, the beer store, Tom? Yeah, Mr. Ford,
8: you know, has a, an incredible political savvy for leaving no beer unturned. You know, and that seems to him to be about as deep as politics gets. But politics actually matters in real people's lives. This is the problem. All this propaganda that Mr. Ford puts out on a continuous
3: basis. Okay, but, but I'm which, asking Mr. you Mr. about Biesel the ndp and What the purpose of it is, yes. About Jill Bisson invoking the Nazis on this beer store question.
8: Mr. Bisson is is correct that this is a a propaganda to, to take us away from what is truly important to people. See. So this is the
9: issue. Libby, this, uh, 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 sorry, but uh, this is the issue. This gets me so frustrated, right? This is the no, issue. He refuses rejection. to address Don, that done. issue. Exactly it is point. repugnant that somebody would, would refer to that on any debate. mentioning anything, system, Tom, quite starving. frankly. And for you not to sit there and say that you renounce and, and you, you, you absolutely abhor what he said is, is shocking, quite frankly. And, and no, to sorry. say that, you know, uh, the propaganda that the Premier uh, mentions, to have even any sort of sense from... from that in, in comparison to what uh, Mr. Basal uh, said is, is crazy. It, it really is, and it, it just it, it demeans the value of, of the argument. You know, you could disagree with the premier on policies, and that's fine. But to be, but to, to make those kind of comparisons, it, it's just it, it's beyond politics, and it's beyond what people in Ontario deserve from from any any elected official. Quite frankly,
8: Tom, so really, our, are you I'm, standing I'm, by, by that government. comment? Real people are suffering. Their schools are getting cut. Their health care is getting cut. Our transit is slowing down. This is real, and you guys are talking about something that happened in the in the in the legislature.
9: That's
7: that's not that important. I I, I would have to jump in here, and I would just I I'm a little dumbfounded, frankly, but. Are we, are we actually making an argument right now that trivializing the systematic murder of millions of Jewish people is not worth discussing or no, apologizing please. for? Because the last right. time I checked, no, we're Mr. Bitton so M- made an apology. Uh, and you know what? I think it was warranted. And frankly, I'm glad he did. Right. Um, but you seem to be taking a different approach.
3: You would think at the very least that people would have the sense not to invoke this? I mean, September. I don't know. I'm, uh, frankly, uh, dumbfounded by that as well. John Capobianco, what would you like to leave us with?
9: The Premier is going to continue on uh, on the path that he's on, which is to uh, to fulfill his promises he made. He got elected on, and I think that's uh, that's important, and I think people will, will appreciate it down the road. You saw the credit rating going up, and you're going to see a lot of good things and jobs coming to a, uh, the province of Ontario, which is badly needed.
3: Okay, and Tom Parkin?
8: Well, if you think that cutting health care and education is going you no, great to get us a better society. I completely disagree with Mr. Ford on that. Uh, what we, what we're seeing is a, a time when we got expanding inequality, more people are falling behind and Mr. Ford's priority is cutting our important public services, cutting minimum wages and giving tax benefits to the wealthiest people in our society. This guy is a hundred percent in the wrong direction and he has to be fine and these little distractions that he throws out they're just they're exactly that. And we just got to move forward.
3: OK, well, I don't think he was the one with that particular distraction. Ashton Arsenault.
7: With respect to the NDP, uh, they've shown over the last week that there's a reason why Ontarians don't trust them to govern. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. The government's got a clean mandate and three years of runway ahead of them. I think you'll see a lot of dramatic moves and it'll all be with the economy top of mind. And I, for one, am looking forward to it.
1: Conservative commentators Ashton Arsenault and John Capobianco along with NDP strategist Tom Parkin. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Cheryl in Toronto phoned to talk about her own air travel experience. Not online like one we highlighted on Fightback of two wheelchair-bound travelers who were stuck in Vancouver for hours.
10: The same thing happened to me with Air Canada two years ago when I got home. I was dumped in a hallway. Um, The wheelchair first hadn't been arranged. I had to wait. Then I was dumped in a hallway and told, someone will pick you up here. Nobody ever came. Um, I had been going through airports in Europe. And the problem is, in Canada, the Airline is responsible for the disabled passenger. In Europe, the airport itself was responsible. And I was assigned at each airport a person. Um, I was treated with respect and dignity. I never waited. One airport in Switzerland even had a lounge for the disabled passengers where I was offered food and water. Um, it, It was just a completely different experience. And nobody ever came for me in that hallway. I was in tears. I was in agony and pain from traveling all day. It was just And I couldn't go anywhere. My luggage was downstairs, you know, circling, circling. And once the airport knew about it, they got a hold of Air Canada, who finally sent somebody. But it it shouldn't be that way. I mean, even when we left for the trip, we had three wheelchairs. We almost missed our plane, and we were there four hours early because Air Canada just couldn't get their act together with the wheelchairs and, and my mom's walker and everything.
1: Lori in Oakville phoned to voice her opinion on the provincial New Democrats. I couldn't believe that Nazi remark either. I, uh, uh,
5: I don't know what's the matter with the NDP. They seem to oppose anything that anyone else is for, and all they come up with is insults and, and this. This is atrocious. And yet they, never have, they don't agree with anybody on anything, and they have nothing to suggest to help out. It just, uh, it just sort of really throws me. I don't understand them at all.
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Dan in Vaughan, who is outraged that MPPs are on a five-month summer break.
0: Five months
6: of no government. That's their job—is to sit, to make laws, legislation, and what are they doing? You know, we're paying them. Uh, I wish I could get five months of uh, go fishing and, uh, you know, this is, this is when my father was alive and this was under uh, Davis government, they all complained about two months. And here we are, five months. Thinking, what are we going to be, another 15 years? It'll be nine months? <laughs> I, I think the working people
8: look at this and they just say, this is crazy.
1: That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of The Best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Michelle Saunders, Justin Eacock, and Kelly Robotham.